Well, it's good to see you all this evening out for Bible study. It is a good thing to be in God's Word. Amen? Let's open a word of prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the opportunity that we have this evening to be in your Word and to be in fellowship. Lord, to be able to praise, to be able to do the things that the freedom that we currently enjoy allows us to do publicly and openly, Lord. We now ask that as we open your word with reverence, you would speak to our hearts. We do truly want to hear from you. And as we're challenged this evening to step out and to to be counted for you, to continue to follow David's example, to be brave and courageous and to stand for what's right and to stand for you and your people. Lord, instill us with courage. Take away any fear that we might have and any anxiety or anything that would prevent us from following you all the days of our lives as you lead us step by step. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so this evening we are in 1 Chronicles, and we are in chapters 19. We're going to look at chapters 19 and 20. And as we do, and as we open up in chapter 19, I happen to be a big fan of the victories of David. I I happen to really enjoy studying the victories that David encountered in his life as a warrior. He definitely, many, many times, took on giants and armies and went up against odds that were not favorable to him. And every time he stepped out by faith, he was victorious. Now, there were times in his life where he wasn't victorious, but it was because he wasn't serving God, because he wasn't giving his heart to God. He wasn't being faithful to God, but almost always in David's life, he experienced the victory. Now, there are things that happen in our lives when we're trying to do the right thing that sometimes we are not looking for and we certainly don't ask for. Some fights we try to avoid, and unfortunately, you just can't. Something happened in David's life early on in this chapter that uh, the events in this chapter are compiled from a number of years of David's different victories, and I'll share. Uh, They're sort of put together as the greatest hits, if you will, of all that David accomplished throughout his years as king and as a warrior. But we start in chapter 19 in verse 1 in 1 Chronicles. It says that in the course of time, Nehosh, king of the Ammonites, died, and his son succeeded him as king. David thought, I will show kindness to Hanun, son of Nehosh, because... His father shown kindness to me. So David sent a delegation to express his sympathy to Hanun concerning his father. When David's men came to Hanun in the land of the Ammonites to express sympathy to him, the Ammonite nobles said to Hanun, Do you think David is honoring your father by sending men to you to express sympathy? Haven't his men come to you to explore and spy out the country and overthrow it? So Hanun seized David's men shaved them, cut off their garments in the middle at the buttocks, and sent them away. And when someone came and told David about the men, he sent messengers to meet them, for they were greatly humiliated. And the king said, stay at Jericho till your your beards have grown, and then come back. You know, the thing about this situation is, it's amazing because it's pretty clear that the Ammonites were looking to pick a fight. That much should be obvious. You don't do something like this unless you're looking to cause friction and create a conflict. There are some people that no matter how hard you try to reason with them, they want a fight. You try your best to convince them. You try to be kind to them. David was showing kindness. That's really all he wanted to do, to be nice. And sometimes being the nice guy or the nice girl gets you abuse. Sometimes it gets you this kind of humiliation. I think it's really hard to, to understand why some people are so intent on creating conflict when you're, when you're really just trying to, to, to get together with them and have a relationship and, and for things to be just nice. Why can't we all just get along, you know? I mean, it's this idea that you're looking to bring people together, and this person in their heart has decided, oh, good, this is an opportunity to tear people apart. There's literally nothing you can do about people like this. It is their problem. It's not yours. And we're going to see David had to deal with this problem. But I feel for David a little bit because here he is a warrior. Here he is a person who's looking to make peace and he gets war. 
no matter how hard he tries. You know, the thing to realize with the Ammonites is that David had actually defeated the Ammonites. We studied it in chapter 18, verse 11. David had defeated the Ammonites and made them subject to the kingdom of Israel. Now, Nahash had shown kindness to David after uh, he was defeated by the Israelites, and so David had defeated his father, and you know what? They had a good relationship. So I guess the son, Hanun, had some resentment, and as a result, he was sort of biding his time, waiting for a time to to cause problems, to, to pick a fight with David, which he clearly did. David had sent a delegation specifically to express his sympathy to Hanun concerning his father. Now, David showed kindness and sympathy to this grieving son who was a newly crowned king. It's clear, David was using diplomacy. He was thinking, well, listen, I had a good relationship with the father. Let me try to have a good relationship with the son. Let me try. And obviously, Nahash's son, though he was shown grace, he was shown grace through a covenant with his father or of his father. And I think about the grace that we receive from God. We receive grace from God because of a covenant that we have with the Father. And, and you know what? We receive the, the love of Jesus Christ because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. So we don't really deserve that grace, but we receive it because of the covenant that God has with us through the person of Jesus Christ. So here's this Son. He has all of the advantages of having a good relationship with David And he really just blows the whole thing up. He rejected the kindness and the sympathy shown to him by David. There are so many people that reject kindness and sympathy shown to them by God. Mercy and grace. They reject it. They want nothing to do it. They would rather be at war with God and his people. And Hanun was such a person. Now, the Ammonites were considered the subjects of David at this point. They served David. They paid him tribute. Remember, David had already conquered them, but there was a good relationship. And David and his men protected all of their subjects. If you were a subject of David, he was also responsible to protect you from other enemies. So this was a good deal. I mean, granted, they would have rather been independent, but that wasn't an option. So the Ammonite nobles, they convinced Hanun that David could not be trusted. Has ever, anyone ever doubted your sincerity? Has anyone ever looked at your life and said, you can't trust that person? Don't trust them. They're up to no good. They don't want anything good for you. They want to harm you. They want to take advantage of you. And you know your heart. You know that's not where you're at. But you've been maligned. You've been maliciously spoken of. You've been uh, treated in a way that's unfair. Well, David must have known what that was like because that's exactly what happened. Hanun humiliated the delegation sent by David and he sent them away. There's no way that David can let this go. There's no way. Even if he wants to, he can't. They have definitely caused a problem that must be resolved in some way, shape, or form. Now, it's interesting. He rejected the grace shown to him. This man, Hunan, rejected the grace shown to him through the covenant of his father. And I want to get back to that again because, listen, when you and I, when we reject the grace shown to us, from the Father through the Son, when we do that, we put ourselves in a place where we can only experience the wrath of God. And unfortunately, if you persist in that, it will be for all eternity. That is hell, which is separation from God, or at least from God's love for all eternity. But you and I, we get to make that choice. You can choose to enjoy the covenant of God's grace And you can enjoy all of God's mercy and his love and his favor. Or you can just reject God and his love and have nothing to do with his word or his will for your life and experience his wrath. You and I, we get to decide. This man made his decision. He rejected the grace that was shown to him. By the way, the irony of this, and it doesn't come out in our English text, but his name, Hanun, actually means gracious. And that's the irony. He he wasn't very gracious at all. It hardly describes his behavior. So David, to his credit, did not immediately punish the Ammonites for humiliating the delegation that he sent to Hanun. He did not immediately get involved. What did he say? He said to the delegation, listen, hang out here in Jericho. 
till your beards grow back. That takes a little while. For me, it would take months. Some people, maybe a couple of days. But, you know, they had to wait, and there was a time, there was a sort of a cooling off period where David clearly decided, you know, I'm not going to overreact, but I have to respond. You know, one of the things I've learned, especially during the COVID years, as I'm calling them now, uh, is there are so many things being thrown at us that you're almost always sort of reacting, you know, sort of dodgeball, you know, sort of dodging, reacting the next thing that's coming your way, right? And I learned it would be better if I responded than react. So responding is, is sort of how I describe being appropriate, thinking things through, not just knee-jerk reaction. And then reacting might be described as a little, little too quick response, maybe just immediately sort of just saying how you feel or, or, or doing something you should have thought about once or twice. I've been trying to respond, not react. Because almost always when I react to an inflammatory situation, I make it worse. I exacerbate the problem. If someone turns the heat up to 80, I turn it to 85. You know, that's what happens. So it's important that I take a moment. Clearly, David has been wrong. Pray it through, think it through, and then respond appropriately. I love that word, appropriately, because there actually is an appropriate response, even if someone attacks you. And I literally train in martial arts to respond appropriately. That is, if someone grabs you on the shoulder, you respond physically, but differently than if they have a bottle and are going to hit you over the head with it. There are different and appropriate responses to even physical altercations. Well, listen, in life, there are appropriate responses to all sorts of offenses. If you go from zero to 60 every single time someone offends you or insults you, you're living on a hair trigger and no good is going to come of it. So what I'm trying to say here, one of the lessons we learned right in this first section, you might want to just take a deep breath, think things through before you respond to an offense. You're going to be offended a lot in life. Trust me, it's going to happen. How you respond will determine the ultimate outcome of that conflict. That's what David did. And now we read in verses 6 through 19. I actually want to read the whole account. We read there in, in chapter 19. Now, you can imagine that there's, there's, there's a, a conflict brewing. Everyone knows it on both sides. So we read, when the Ammonites realized that they had become a stench in David's nostrils, <laughs> Hanun and the Ammonites sent a thousand talents of silver to hire chariots and charioteers, charioteers from Aram Narahim, Aram Makkah, and Zobah, and they hired 32,000 chariots and charioteers, as well as the king of Makkah with his troops, who came and camped near Medeba. Now, while the Ammonites were mustered from their towns and moved out for battle, and on hearing this, David sent Joab out with the entire army of fighting men, and the Ammonites came out and drew up in battle formation at the entrance to their own city while the kings who had come were by themselves in the open country. You know, before we go any further, just to explain what's happening here, uh, the Ammonites were supposed to send that money as tribute to David. So now they know there's no hope of there not being a conflict. They take the money that they were supposed to pay in tribute and other resources they have, and they buy mercenaries, thinking, we're going to throw David off of us. We're going we're to take away his, his control. We're, we're going to really rebel against this landlord, if you will. We, we don't want to pay any more tribute. So they've got this plan. That's clearly why they did what they did with the delegation. They wanted to provoke a conflict, and this is exactly what they got. So looking at this, they hired these foreign mercenaries to protect them from Israel's retaliation. Again, they had to know it was going to come. And we're going to see that Israel's army easily defeated them. Let's continue. <clears throat> well, Joab saw, in verse 10, that there were battle lines in front of him and behind him. So he selected some of the best troops in Israel and deployed them against the Arameans. And he put the rest of the men under the command of Abishai, his brother. And they were deployed against the Ammonites. And Joab said, if the Arameans are too strong for me, then you are to rescue me. But if the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I will rescue you. Be strong, and let us fight bravely for our people, 
and the cities of our God. The Lord will do what is good in his sight. Well, then Joab and the troops with him advanced to fight the Aramaeans, and they fled before him. And when the Ammonites saw that the Aramaeans were fleeing, they too fled before his brother Abishai and went inside the city. So Joab went back to Jerusalem. And after the Aramaeans saw that they had been routed by Israel, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> they sent messengers and had the Aramaeans brought from beyond the river. With Shophak, the commander of Hadadezer's army, leading them, And when David was told of this, he gathered all Israel and crossed the Jordan. He advanced against them and formed his battle lines opposite them. David formed his lines to meet the Aramaeans in battle, but they fought against him. But they fled before Israel, and David killed 7,000 of their charioteers and 40,000 of their foot soldiers. He also killed Shophak, the commander of their army. And when the vassals of Hadadezer saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they made peace with David and became subject to him. So the Arameans were not willing to help the Ammonites anymore. Clearly, it didn't work out the way they planned, right? Sometimes you start a conflict you, you can't finish. You know, if you're going to pick on somebody and that person is much bigger than you, you may rue the day you decided to start the trouble. And here's the problem. I think they genuinely believe, look, we'll, we'll cause a problem. We'll get David and his army to march out. We'll hire these other soldiers, and then we'll defeat David, and then we won't have to pay any more tribute. I think economically they thought it was going to work out well, but it didn't. In fact, it was a disaster. And we've seen already that Joab and Abishai defeated the Aramaeans and left the Ammonites trapped in their city. They're literally trapped in their city behind their walls. (coughs) They can't go anywhere. They're stuck. And being stuck like that means it can be cut off from food supplies and water and everything else. So the problem becomes, now what? Now what? Well, these Arameans, who are are basically from the area of Syria or Mesopotamia, gather their forces and they launch this attack against Israel. Uh, By the way, Hadadezer, we've talked about him before, he ruled Zobah, which was the most powerful of the Aramean states at that time. So they they went for the, the heavy hitters thinking, this is going to work. This is their plan. And it's about money. Most wars are. Have you figured that out already? Most wars, conflicts, are really economically driven. Even the things we see happening today in our world. If If you're concerned about what might happen in the South China Sea with mainland China and Taiwan, you know that the attraction is that Taiwan commercially uh, is doing very well, right? So that's, uh, that's sort of a, a motivation for them, right? What's happening in uh, Europe, a lot of it has to do with energy, uh, you know, what Russia's doing, the games they're playing with Ukraine, all of this is money, even our country. <coughs> it seems to provoke these conflicts because guess who sells the weapons that these people use in their wars? You know, I, I, I mentioned this, uh, may have even been just last week, I've been watching these uh, documentaries, you know, on uh, World War II. And you see the political side of things. You know, a lot of times you see these movies that really just inspire you, these men on the battlefield. But then you see the decisions that are made, how the politicians are the ones making them. And they're, they're throwing tens of thousands of Marines at, at this, you know, Iwo Jima or Okinawa and all, all that they're doing. And, and you realize a lot of what they're doing really is political posturing. So many of the wars that we, even World War II, so many of the wars we've seen in our nation and over the last few decades, you look at them, at the, at the end of the day, it really comes down to somebody's benefiting from bloodshed. And that's sad, isn't it? I hate to be so cynical, but the world really is a rotten, miserable place. That's why we pray, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly, right? Now, when he comes back, there will be a bloodbath. But that's because some will refuse to bow. And he's going to establish his kingdom on this earth And I promise you at that point, we won't have any complaints whatsoever. Amen? But until then, we live in this fallen world. So David had defeated (coughs) this man, Hadadezer, when he tried to expand his kingdom in the past. Uh, We talked about it recently. He captured his chariots, his soldiers. He destroyed the majority of his horses. He defeated these Arameans of Damascus uh, when they came to help. So 
David has a history of being victorious over all of these peoples, but they're thinking if we get together and we gang up, we might just be able to defeat David. That's the plan. But David defeated the Arameans, and he made them subject to the kingdom of Israel. So those people that may, maybe were not paying him tribute are now forced to pay him tribute. When, when armies surrender, they surrender generally unconditionally, but sometimes it's like, look, we'll stop fighting. Uh, how much do you want us to pay you to stop fighting? That's kind of how it goes. You know, how much do you want us to pay you for this to end? And it's so sad because really, wars really are all about dollars and cents. But that's what happened here. And uh, one thing that happened is David killed Shobak, the uh, commander of Hadadezer's army, and he made peace with the defeated vassal kings of Hadadezer. So now there's peace, but there's one problem yet. The Ammonites who started the problem. And by the way, <clears throat> these people who surrendered were all paid to fight. There's one thing you learn throughout history, that mercenaries never fight like people who are defending their own land. You know, it just doesn't work that way. You know, at some point somebody says, this ain't worth it. You know, I mean, you all, you all go to work. Why? You go to work because you like it. You might like your job, but I'm pretty sure if they said, you know what, we're going to stop paying you. You probably wouldn't go in tomorrow morning, right? Okay. So I think you understand what I'm saying. So David, you know, because of the situation, this prince in Ammon named Hanun, whose name again means gracious, he lost a lot. He could have been an ally. He, he, he could have had it made, but because he was rebellious, he became a humble outcast, stripped of his servants, stripped of his power, stuck in his city. I mean, he was considered the son of the king. He was shown respect by David. He would have been justified to be in David's presence. And yet now, this blessing was removed from him and from all of his descendants. It's not going to end well with this guy. Interesting, though, uh, he was now considered an enemy, and he's condemned to death. So basically, it's just a matter of time because of the conflict he started. His riches, his inheritance, and his position were lost through his own sin. And I just want to make application here because we, we have so much. And we're so blessed. And when God blesses us, and we are not grateful for God's blessings, and we either want more or we refuse to serve God— we actually jeopardize all of his many blessings. Amen? We do. We can forfeit the grace that could be ours. That should be ours. It would be ours if we but served God with all of our hearts, mind, soul, and strength. Amen? Well, this man learned the hard way, clearly. Uh, we pick it up <coughs> in chapter 20. And as it said at the end of the chapter 19, so the Aramaeans were not willing to help the Ammonites anymore. So here's the problem. They're stuck. They're under siege. It's not going to end well. But this is what we learned. Now remember, there's a little bit of this going back and forth to Jerusalem. Uh, there were attacks, and then they get shut up in the city. And then, you know, the winter happens, and it, things change, and it's like, okay, the kings go to war in the spring, so maybe there was a little lag of time. But this is what we learn in chapter 20, in verse 1, and we're going we're gonna to just read... Uh, Verses 1 through 3. It says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, Joab led out the armed forces. He laid waste the land of the Ammonites and went to Rabbah and besieged it. But David remained in Jerusalem. Joab attacked Rabbah and left it in ruins, and David took the crown from the head of their king. Its weight was found to be a talent of gold, and it was set with precious stones, and it was placed on David's head. And he took a great quantity of plunder from the city and brought out the people who were there, consigning them to labor with saws and with iron picks and axes. David did this to all the Ammonite towns. And then David and his entire army returned to Jerusalem. So how did that end? It doesn't specifically say it, but I have a sneaking suspicion that David got the crown because the king who was wearing it lost his head. Clearly, the Ammonites were defeated and now they've been punished. People are put into servitude, which is what happens uh, in, when, you're, when you're besieging a city and you finally make your way in. You want restitution for all the time and money you spent trying to take that city. So what you do is you rape, pillage, and plunder. And that's exactly what they do. They go in, they take all these people, they make slaves out of them. And I'm not saying I agree with this. I'm just saying this is the way it worked and, uh, for, many, for many centuries. It worked this way. That's the world we live in. 
So as we see, they, they take all of that plunder, they take the crown, they give it to David, and it's over. This guy's gone. He's, he's dead. He's, it's, it's over. All because he couldn't receive the kindness of the king. And I want to say this, if you reject God's kindness, you will receive his wrath. There's no, there's no games here. I mean, that's just the way it works. If you say, no, I don't need God. I don't want God's love. I'm rejecting it. Now, we're talking about David, but David being a type of, of, of Jesus in this regard, understand something. You reject God's kindness, you'll receive his wrath. So my encouragement to you is receive the love of God. When God shows you kindness, submit to him, honor him, worship him, and receive all of his many blessings because we serve a good and gracious God. Amen? Well, it didn't work out that way for this king. Well, anyway, a couple of things I want to mention. Notice in verse 1, you're probably familiar with this phrase from 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. Notice it says, In the spring of the time when the kings go off to war. That's how the chapter that deals with David and Bathsheba opens. This book deals with some of what happened at that time, but it doesn't address what David did with Bathsheba. That's recorded for us again in 2 Samuel. But understand something. It was what was happening at this time in David's life. All of his forces were out on the battlefield. He was back in Jerusalem playing hanky-panky. All right? So he was not where he was supposed to be doing the things he wasn't supposed to do. God still blessed Israel, but we all know that David suffered greatly for his sin. So as we read, he was detached from his men, which wasn't David's usual MO. He was usually out on the battlefield. He was detached from his men. He was uninvolved with the Israelite army at first. He sent Joab and Abishai to defeat the Ammonites and their Aramean allies, and they didn't. David stayed back in Jerusalem getting reports. He remained in Jerusalem instead of leading Israel's army to victory as their king. And that becomes a lesson. Make sure that you're where God has called you to be. I can promise you that if you're not, you're going to get in trouble. You know, if you find yourself in a place that you can easily say a lover of God shouldn't be, a place that reeks of sin and sinful lifestyles and or you're just going to face a lot of temptation because you're in this place. Who do you have to blame if you fall? Oh, God, why did you put me in this place? No, whoa, whoa, whoa. Where was David supposed to be? Instead, <coughs> instead of sitting on his roof watching Bathsheba take a bath, he should have been out on the battlefield. And he wasn't. And that's where the problems began. Just where they began, not where they ended. So... He remained in Jerusalem instead of leading Israel's army to victory as their king. He allowed others to fulfill his calling. He remained in a place of safety at the expense of others. He was isolated and unaccountable to others. One of the most dangerous things I've seen in the lives of God's people over the last few years, the COVID years, if you will, is we, if we allowed ourselves, were isolated and unaccountable. When you're isolated, that is cut off from everyone else, and unaccountable, that is no one's checking in on you, you're capable of all kinds of evil, aren't you? Things far worse than sitting on the top of your roof watching your neighbor take a bath. And that's the kind of thing that happens when we're isolated and unaccountable. You think the devil knew what he was doing when he brought this thing into our world. God allowed it for his purposes, but I'm saying when these things came into our world, you think the devil scored a few victories against Christians, people of God, when they went into isolation and were unaccountable and not in fellowship and not in church? You you think that he won a few victories? I'm going to tell you he did. Lots of people that were struggling with mental health issues really struggled during that time and are still struggling today. Many people who had issues with substance abuse, drugs and alcohol, relapsed. Many people died because they were taking certain drugs like fentanyl and other drugs just to try to deal with the pain and the challenges and the difficulty, and they're no longer with us. And some of those people knew God and had a relationship with him. The sad thing is when we allow ourselves to be isolated, cut off, 
and unaccountable, we suffer greatly. That's what happened to David. I don't know what made him decide to stay home and not go out on the battlefield, but out on the battlefield is where David did his best work. That's where David belonged. Was he there? No. Not at all. And we see, while this chapter doesn't deal with that, that's what was happening at this time. And it's why Joab and Abishai were out on the battlefield and not David. David slept with Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, during this time. And, you know, it's interesting because Joab, and and again, I'm, I'm referring to 2 Samuel chapter 12, but Joab challenged David to rise up and fulfill his calling as Israel's king. He got in his face. I mean, it's his nephew. It's like, you need to be out on the battlefield. And again, I encourage you, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 26. He tells him, look, you're the king of Israel. You need to be out on the battlefield. But David had remained in Jerusalem instead of leading the army to victory. So what Joab and Abishai did is they defeated the Ammonites and their Aramean allies, but they weren't supposed to receive the crown. They weren't supposed to receive the glory. That was supposed to go to David, who was in a bad place. Joab actually told David he needed to leave the city and come out on the battlefield and lead this siege against the Ammonites. He wanted David to lead the siege because they're trapped in the city. He's like, this is an easy victory, Dave. You just need to come on out. And you need to show up, and we need to take the city, but you need to be there. You're the king. Think about where you're supposed to be right now. Well, I hope you're in the place you're supposed to be. You're in church. But how many times we're not where God has called us to be? How many times? Well, Joab was fiercely loyal to David. He always sought to make him look good. He did. Joab was content not being the king. He liked being the commander of the army. And, of course, David is his uncle. This is a good deal for him. But he doesn't want to jeopardize the kingship of David because David is being stupid. Joab did not want to strengthen his own position at David's expense. So he encourages David to leave Jerusalem to come out and get involved. And he did. And he captured the city, as we read already in verses 2 and 3. And he made the Ammonites subject to the kingdom of Israel. That's what was happening behind the scenes. That's what was happening behind the scenes of this chapter. It doesn't come out in this text, but it's sad to know that David really uh, brought a lot of grief into his life because he wasn't where God had called him to be. All right, so we had some more information here. One thing I want to remind you of from 1 Chronicles 14, David had defeated the Philistines. We talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago. He had defeated the Philistines. He had delivered Israel from their occupation. This was an enemy that Israel had had for 300 years. Mortal enemies of of the uh, Israelites for 300 years, and David defeated them. When David was where he was supposed to be, he was unstoppable. This was the primary reason that the tribes of Israel had gotten together and asked David to rule over the whole kingdom. They wanted to be delivered from God's enemies, the enemies of God's people, the Philistines. We know that David had taken Gath and its surrounding villages from the control of the Philistines, We studied that in 1 Chronicles chapter 18. So, one of the things that happens here, and I want to read just the first part of the first uh, verse in this section, verse 4. It says, in the course of time, in chapter 20 of 1 Chronicles, verse 4, in the course of time, war broke out with the Philistines at Gezer. Now, first thing you need to know is that no enemy ever stays defeated. You can't Get the victory over an enemy and say, well, that's that. We don't have to deal with that anymore. You know? I mean, for example, let's say that you got control of your temper, right? And, and you've been praying that God would help you to not lash out, that you would get angry but not sin, that you would not lose control of yourself, right? So you think, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. And a couple months go by and you don't give way to anger you're under control. You're feeling really good. Oh, praise God. I'm, I've got control of my anger. But I promise you, especially if you get in your car, something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. There's going to be a moment where you lose control again. You have to be on constant guard. You have to be vigilant. Every moment of every day for that flesh to come out again, that mortal enemy that's been with you your whole life, to come out again and try to defeat you. You cannot let your guard down. Amen? And this was the case with the Philistines. You couldn't say, well, we defeated them. 
No, they want a rematch, of course. David once again fought against the Philistines later in his reign. This is what happened. The Philistines attacked Israel while David and his men were vulnerable. This is the time period in David's life. We're jumping ahead now. Remember, this is a compilation of great moments in David's life. And that's why it doesn't mention uh, Bathsheba, by the way. That's edited out. That's only recorded in, in, in Samuel. David had just gone through probably the worst moment in his life. And it was when his son Absalom had rebelled against him. There was a revolution, really, in the, in the country. And his own son Absalom, with some of his counselors and half his kingdom, really, decide to rebel against David and try to overthrow and kill David. This is a bad moment in David's king, kingdom and, his, and in his life. And the kingdom was extremely vulnerable when the Philistines attacked. That's why they attacked. You know, the enemy's not going to come at you when you're really strong. He's going to come at you when you're weak. And if you're really strong and you think like, oh, let me, let me, let me know that I'm so strong and let everyone know how strong I am. Hey, take heed lest you fall. It's at those moments when we think we're strong in our own strength that we're actually weak. I just want to share with you, you know, we are in a war, a spiritual battle for our souls and for the souls of those who are around us. And you cannot go through life thinking that the minute you're weak, your enemy won't try to sneak up on you and take you out. That's exactly what happened. He had just buried, David had just buried his rebellious son Absalom after ending a terrible civil war. It was actually Joab that killed him. And this is family. And, and, and all of this is going on, and, and wait a minute. David is destroyed by this. And the enemies say, good, this is what we've been waiting for. David's weak. Let's attack. He had just reunited the tribes of Israel after suppressing this bitter rebellion led by his own son and some of his closest counselors. And we read in 2 Samuel 21, that David had become exhausted while he was fighting against the Philistines. David's shot. He really is. And again, I refer you to 2 Samuel, but he, he's emotionally spent. He's physically spent. This has been the most awful time in his life. His enemies have now come out to try to take him out, and we're going to see they really wanted to kill him. So after his own son tried to kill him, and they managed to suppress that rebellion, and they're trying to rebuild the kingdom, the Philistines show up, and they're trying to kill him. But I want to tell you, all of those things came about because of what happened in the previous section that we talked about. When David gave himself over to adultery and then murder, David entered on a path where the enemy had him up against the wall. And this, years later, is the fruit of that time in his life. This is what happened because David was unfaithful to God. This is the fruit of that sin in his life. So, he becomes exhausted while he's fighting against the Philistines. It, it, it looks like it, it's pretty much over. In fact, I might just turn there and, and read that, that account for you so you can get a, a real good picture of that. It, uh, it was in, first, in 2 Samuel chapter 21 and in verse 15. This is the parallel passage. It says, once again... There was a battle between the Philistines and Israel, and David went down with his men to fight against the Philistines, and he became exhausted. And Ishbi Banab, one of the descendants of Rapha, that, those are the giants, whose bronze spearhead weighed 300 shekels and who was armed with a new sword, said he would kill David. But Abishai, son of Zariah, came to David's rescue and struck the Philistine down and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, saying, Never again will you go out with us to battle so that the lamp of Israel will not be extinguished. See, because of David's vulnerability at this time, he almost was killed in battle. And that's not like David, but you understand why, right? I've given you the background. So the Philistines sent this man, Ishbi Banab, a descendant of Rapha. The Raphites were very large people like Goliath of Gath. They were giants. And he was an impressive giant, and he had determined that he was going to slay David. He was the assassin that was going to take David out. 
Now, David's nephew, Abishai, rescued him. Now, one thing I can say, Joab, Abishai, these men were loyal. They were loyal. Well, they're family, but they're loyal to David. Through the whole civil war, through everything that happened, he could rely on them. But there's something you need to know about Abishai. And I'm going to give you a little recap because Abishai comes up a lot in the account of David and his kingdom. Abishai is his nephew. But Abishai was an impulsive person. He was one of those people that didn't respond, he reacted. He oftentimes didn't think, he just sort of responded in that way. He just sort of reacted to what was happening. And he got in trouble with David a lot because of that. He was one of those people that did and didn't think all the time. I'll give you a couple examples. He had annoyed David and grieved David on many occasions. In fact, one of them, he wanted to kill Saul while Saul was sleeping. David had to stop him. He and his brother Joab actually murdered a man by the name of Abner, who was the head of the forces of Israel. When they were coming together to make peace with the northern kingdom, Joab and Abishai decide to sneak off and assassinate Abner when they're trying to make peace. And David, he really cursed these guys. He really did. He just couldn't believe. They're the sons of his sister. And he just couldn't believe that these guys were making all this trouble in his kingdom. So there were moments where you wondered whether these guys were going to be in a lot more trouble. Abishai wanted to behead a man by the name of Shimei for cursing David when David was leaving the city when Absalom was rebelling. He was so ready to just take people out, right? He later wanted to put Shimei to death after he repented. This is not the kind of guy that takes a moment and thinks before he responds or reacts. That's Abishai. David's patience, though, with this impulsive man, Abishai, ultimately saved his own life. Because guess what happened when Ishbi Banab came after David? Abishai didn't think twice. He, being very impulsive, just went for it and killed the giant. So there's something to be said for a person that knows how to respond appropriately and is not afraid to act. Abishai can be praised for being the kind of person that knows how to respond and, and, and act. And he, he's not going to sit there and watch. But many times people like Abishai have to learn when not to respond in order to be effective when they respond. So if you're that kind of person, if you're an Abishai tonight, and you usually respond a little too quickly, I just want to give you a little hope. That character can be used by God if brought before him and submitted to him. If you ask God, God, help me. I see that as a gift. It's a good thing that I know how to respond, but help me to respond with your leading. Not to respond in my leading and and to take things into my own hands, but Lord, let me be the kind of person that once I see the right thing to do, I respond appropriately. Amen? So you look at this man. Imagine if David had said, get this guy out of here. He doesn't know how to control himself. David wouldn't have made it because Abishai took out Ishbi Banab. So I like to look at the character of some of these people. It teaches me some things that I can glean from. Well, David's men prevented him from ever fighting alongside them in battle again. David's getting a little bit older. He's had a lot of problems. Uh, he was exhausted. He almost, he almost got killed by this giant. They've decided, look, you're not going to be on the front line. But until this time, uh, David generally, other than the time when he was with Bathsheba, he would be out on the front line. That's where you wanted David. That's not usually the case with most kings. All right. Now we're given a couple of things that happened over time. Uh, we've already talked about this, this situation with Ishbi Banab, but we get to the latter part of verse 4. Uh, we read there, that at that time, Sibekai the Hushathite killed Sipai, one of the descendants of the Rephites, and the Philistines were subjugated. In another battle with the Philistines, El- Elhanan, son of Jair, killed Lami, the brother of Goliath the Gittite, who had a spear with a shaft like a weaver's rod. That's a really large and heavy spear. In still another battle, which took place at Gath, there was a huge man with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. 24 in all. He also was descended from Rapha. And when he taunted Israel, Jonathan, son of Shimei, David's brother, killed him. These were descendants of Rapha and Gath, and they fell at the hands of David and his men. This is the the account of the giant killers. This is designed to be a moment that would inspire 
the people of Israel, because this book was being compiled by a man by the name of Ezra as the Israelites were coming back to the land after many years of being exiled. This is designed to inspire people to greatness, and so they have these great accounts of victories, hoping to inspire God's people to be victorious again. That's why this book was written. Very different than 1st and 2nd Samuel or 1st and 2nd Kings. This book was written with a different purpose. We talked about that when we first started these series of studies. So because I'm a, I'm a fan of these kinds of things, I'll just briefly go over it. You have this man, Sippai. He's killed by Sibachai, the Hushathite, at Gob. Now, his victory brought about the subjugation of the enemy. Because, you see, they would get these guys who were really big, these, these giants who were descended from Rapha. They'd put them out in front of the army, and everybody would just sort of follow after them. The idea was to intimidate the enemy. But if one of the warriors came up and took out the giant, what do you think happened to all the guys behind the giant? They all ran the other way. So that's what happened. Then we have Goliath's brother, and it's interesting because Goliath had a few brothers. Uh, David had killed Goliath, of course, when he was a a young boy, really, a young man. And the, the brothers were still around, and you can imagine they didn't like David very much. So, Goliath's brother, Lopmi, was killed by a man by the name of Elhanan the Bethlehemite. It's talked about in 2 Samuel 21, verse 19. Now, I want to point something out, and I've talked about this before. Elhanan was the son of Jair the weaver, all right? And Lopmi had a spear, because he's a large guy, had a spear shaft similar in size to a weaver's rod. This is, this is like much larger than any spear anyone else would use. So it's heavy. They would train with lighter spears. This was a heavy spear because the guy was so big, he used a heavier spear. No one could even pick it up and use it against him, which is what happens, right? You throw a spear, right? And, you, you know, you expect the other guy's probably going to pick that up at some point and throw it back, right? Or take it from you and use it against you. The problem is when a guy this big throws a spear that big, you don't pick it up. So it puts you at a disadvantage, except one little thing. God had prepared this man. Well, how was he prepared? Well, his father was a weaver. That meant he was a weaver. That meant he spent most of his time moving a weaver's rod every day. You go to the gym and you pick up 200 pounds and you go like this. Guess what's going to happen when you're in battle and you have to pick up that large spear the same size? You're going to be able to throw it. And this is a wonderful example and application to how God prepares us to do battle. The guy's a weaver. But he's used to moving this heavy rod all the time. And so he's out there on the battlefield. He's like, I can pick that up. I can throw that. He, He wasn't... When he did it, he didn't know that he was preparing for the battle. But God was preparing him for the battle. All of you are being prepared for battles that you don't even know you're going to have to fight. So the heavy things that are laid upon you, the difficulties you're facing, the things you have to lift that are too heavy for most people to lift, you're thinking, God, why are you always doing this to me? Why do I got to lift the weaver's rod? Why do I got to do this? Why is it always me? Why do I have to deal with this? God may not answer you, but I can answer it in a little bit. I can say he's preparing you for battle. You're being prepared for the victories that God wants to bring in and through your life. But it looks a lot like picking up a heavy thing and carrying it around. And nobody likes that. By the way, a lot of you guys like going to the gym and working out. But let's be honest. If you could take a pill that would do all of that in five minutes, would you go to the gym? Of course you wouldn't. You go to the gym because you like the results. All right? You, some people might really just like the process, but I think most of us are looking for results. Listen, here's the thing with the weaver's rod. That was a part of his life. God allowed it in his life, and it prepared him for the victory that he ultimately got. So, most men couldn't throw the spear back, but apparently this man was strong enough. What are you being strengthened to do? I can't answer that for you, but I can tell you God is preparing you. Amen? As a weaver, he was uniquely prepared to defeat his enemy. Then you have this unnamed giant, interesting character. This must have been some type of genetic anomaly because this unnamed giant was killed by David's nephew, nephew Jonathan at Gath. 
He was huge. He was unnatural, even for a giant. He taunted God's people much like Goliath had. And when I say unnatural, he had, you know, most people, if you look around, most of us have, right, five and five, right? I mean, some people might have polydactylism, I think they call it. You know, the idea of having an extra finger or toe. This guy had 24 in all. Six, six, and six, and six. He's just a weird guy, right? But he's a big guy, too. He's an unnamed giant, and he's defeated. Not by another giant, but by someone who's a giant in the faith. Jonathan followed the example of his uncle David in slaying this giant. And you see what's happening here is we're seeing the examples of people who have gone before, inspiring the people who come after them to have victories for God and for his people. Are you getting that message? This is why we're studying these things, to be inspired to victory. Finally, this chapter ends in verse 8. David and these men were known as the giant slayers. Do you want to be known as a giant slayer? Taking out the giant enemies to the faith. David started his career as a giant slayer. He started his career as a giant slayer. He became a hero and a warrior after he killed Goliath. Had he not slain the giant, he would still be a shepherd, musician, and surely not a king. David was always victorious when he trusted the Lord in impossible circumstances. If you're being encouraged, and I know you are, to trust God in impossible circumstances, know that you and I, we can be giant slayers too. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. Thank you for inspiring us and encouraging us to step out and be counted for you. Lord, we understand that you have called us to great and mighty things, things that are impossible apart from you, but it starts with us receiving your kindness and your mercy and trusting you with our lives, that we might glorify you with our lives. Lord, we pray that you would inspire us this evening to know that the difficult things we're going through are preparing us for the victories that you've called us to have in our lives, in and through our lives. Lord, do this work in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.